Welcome to the Eternal Connection, a radio broadcast ministry of St. Mark Lutheran Church in Omaha, Nebraska. Whether it be through prescribed behaviors, rituals, or practices, every religion in the world teaches that if we desire to know God, it is our responsibility to find Him and know Him. Christianity, however, teaches something very different. Christianity teaches that God has come to us and has revealed His love for us by putting on flesh in Jesus Christ and by giving us His Word through which He continues to speak to us today. We're glad you've joined us as Pastor Jay continues leading us through the Bible right here, right now on The Eternal Connection. And once again, you are eternally connected, and we are thankful, especially uh, this soon after Thanksgiving, thankful for you, our listeners, for joining us, for being a part of this radio program that proclaims the glorious gifts we have been given by our God, our Maker, and through His Son, Jesus Christ, who has given us the greatest gift of all, the gift of eternal life and the assurance of salvation through His death and resurrection from the dead, which is what we're all about on this show. Uh, joined in studio, as always, by two other guys I'm thankful for. Chip, Jason, how was your Thanksgiving? Uh, very good. Always thankful to see all the family and have the opportunity to just catch up. Well, I, I am thankful that uh, Jason is back with us. Amen. Uh, which is great. You feel, uh, we you missed feel, you. Feeling yep. good? Yep, feeling good. Uh, had a good vacation with the family, uh, caught a little cold at the end of it, so played extra safe and didn't come check you guys out for a while. Yeah, we, well, we appreciated that. I know that our listeners are ecstatic. They are. That they Jason back. is back. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll try not to let them down. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully the listeners now, uh, it being Sunday morning, the folks are probably coming out of their uh, food-driven slumber <laughs> oh the food coma oh, yes. yeah. speaking yes. of which what did you eat oh we had it all uh, the the traditional fixins okay and it was it was glorious you did the traditional turkey and yes we have and- uh th- with three gatherings two tra- true traditional and one non-traditional so uh, like I said, you know, it's always very good. The food tastes a little bit different as you travel from family to family, but um, yeah, it, it's good to be past that. Great. Well, you know, you mentioned traditional. We're actually doing something a little bit at the church that's a little non-traditional for, mm. for Thanksgiving. Yes, we're saving turkeys. We are. The The youth <laughs> uh, have decided to, uh, we're going to do tacos today. Yeah. Uh, they always have a annual fundraiser. Uh, Typically, it's used to go on uh, trips, mm-hmm. uh, uh, mission trips, and things like that. Uh, and uh, usually, they do a turkey dinner, but this t- this time we're we're doing tacos, and I'm actually quite excited about it. <laughs> yeah, they figured everybody would be tired of turkey, uh, so so as we had a slide announcement that says, "Save a turkey, eat a taco." And so, <laughs> I yeah, like it's that. going to be a good time. Yeah, it's going to be good. Well, for today's program, uh, I thought we would go way back and talk about, as Christians, um, something specifically about our faith that we are most thankful for, uh, and that is the doctrine or the teaching in Scripture of justification. 
which is the bedrock of Christianity. Without justification, there is no salvation. And I think that's a big word that uh, we often hear in Christianity, but I think it's important to kind of talk about what in the world does that mean, the doctrine of justification, and kind of show why it's so important. And in doing so, we will see just how much we have to be thankful for eternally. Without justification, we have no hope uh, for the future and eternity. But the good news is we have been justified. We have been aligned and made right with God. All right. Well, before we get into justification and uh, rewind all the way back three years, believe it or not, August 2020. Wow. Is, <laughs> That's is, a, uh, an oldie but a goodie. Yeah. So, um, Chip, why don't you pray for us? Okay. Lord, we give you thanks and praise as is fitting as we are celebrating this Thanksgiving weekend. You've given us everything and every reason to be eternally thankful for the sacrifice of your son who died in our place. Grant us thankful hearts, Lord, remembering always your kindness and provision, even when we were your enemies. To you be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's rewind the tape. We're going back three years to our discussion on justification. As we begin our discussion on justification, Chip, when you think of that word justify, justification, what what do you think of what comes to mind? Well, normally it's it's more of a negative thing because uh we tend to, as humans, try to justify something we've done, <laughs> and uh, yeah. it, it's usually not something that's probably good. Right, right. Yeah, we, we only know of justification from a, a negative context right. um, because we, we clearly have no justice in ourself. Yes. Uh, there's nothing right about us. And as we begin the discussion, I think I'd like to use an illustration that uh, one of the theologians and one of my professors going back to seminary, Stephen Mueller, uses. Uh, in today's modern world, you usually think of justification in terms of a Word document. Left justify the text, center oh, right. justify the text, yes. right justify the text. How do you align content? How do you align something, right? And, uh, and although that's not really the essence theologically, of what justification means, I think it certainly is appropriate in its sense. Uh, when we talk about justification, we're talking about how we are aligned with God, which assumes, as you pointed out, that we are out of alignment. Um, eons ago, when we started this series on essential faith, uh, we began with that passage from Romans 1 that made that very, very clear that um, what has been able to be known about God, he has made plain to us. But because of our sin, we have outright rejected it, that we, we have no ability of knowing him on our own. Scripture says that in our very nature, we are sinful. As a matter of fact, Galatians would go so far as to say that even the desires of the flesh, the sarks in Greek, the, the humanity of us, uh, that nature is opposed to the desires of the spirit, and they're in conflict with one another so that you cannot do even what you want to do. So we are depraved in our nature. And so we cannot align ourselves. We cannot justify ourselves. Um, when I get into this debate with people over the idea that humanity is basically good, I mean, you hear that constantly Always. in rhetoric today, that uh, you know, humanity is generally good, or I believe in the goodness of people. Um, 
I, I often ask them, have you lived up perfectly to your own standards? Right. I mean, have you, have you lived the way you expect yourself to live all the time? I think any honest person would have to say no. So if we can't even align ourselves with ourselves, how in the world do we expect to align ourselves with God? And therein lies, I think, what sets Christianity apart from the entire rest of the world's religions. Um, Christianity does stand alone. When you think about the other religions of the world, Judaism, um, you know, Mormonism, all the other isms that are out there, um, you know, that, that suffix ism is a process, a practice. Um, religion is a practice. Christianity, although we classify it generally in our language as a religion, it is not a religion. Uh, it is a person. It is faith in a person. It is following someone else and what they want and what they do. Justification, the doctrine of justification, is hands down the doctrine that sets Christianity apart from the rest of the world because it says you can't align yourself with God. God must do it for you. And the good news of the gospel is that God has justified us. He has declared us to be, as we'll talk about with this uh, declared righteousness and imputed righteousness. He has done the work for us, for us in Christ. No other religion in the world teaches that. No other religion in the world, as we talked about for the past two weeks, has a, a good balance of law and gospel that the law declares you are depraved entirely. The gospel declares God has entirely justified you and redeemed you in his own eyes, by his own hand, in his son, Jesus Christ. So you could say that we are aligned by a completely different type of word document, right? <laughs> the word document. Very good, yes. <laughs> I, I waited a little bit. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, God has has certainly aligned us uh, with Himself in spite of ourselves, and that's why we call it good news. One of the great passages that deals with justification comes from Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church, and I want to read a section of this to you um, because, as always, Scripture says it better than I'll ever be able to say it. Second um, Corinthians chapter five, beginning in verse fourteen. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, 
God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, one of the things that, uh, one of the very last sentences you said, which is powerful, and I, I guess I'd like you to explain it a little better, is, you know, where it says, he became a sin. Uh-huh. So what exactly does that mean? Yeah, you know, I talked about this in my sermon this past Sunday. Um, we're in a two-part series called uh, Who? Um, and the first part is who is Jesus? And the second part is who am I in light of who Jesus is? And we'll be tackling that second part this coming Sunday. But during that sermon, I answered the question. I said, who is Jesus? He is my sin. And I could see the faces of people in the congregation just be taken a little bit aback by that at first. And, and that really is good because that means that the offense of the gospel is working. See, this is why people struggled with Christ, struggled with what he was saying, that he would have to be handed over, that he would allow himself to be deceived, that he would allow himself to be the curse that Isaiah talks about in chapter 53, even hung on a tree. Because in people's minds, both in the minds of the religious elite and in the minds of the disciples, you know, Peter would say, I'm not going to let that happen to you, Lord. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, God wouldn't do that. God's, God's not going to take on someone else's guilt. We would never do that, right? That's, I mean, again, we can't align ourselves. We, we can't fathom the depth of God's love. So Paul fleshes this out a little bit. He says, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So it's holding two things in tension that are really important and are directly related to justification. Only the spotless lamb of God who has no sin could serve as the perfect sacrifice for a sinful humanity. Now this, this is a really broken illustration and I'm, I'm still in some ways working out how to use it, but I, I think there's an essence that communicates this. Um, Chip, if I if I accidentally ran over your dog, okay, heartbroken. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I wanted to make it up to you or I wanted to replace that pet and I gave you a cat. Would that be okay? I think we would end our friendship right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the only sacrifice, substitutionary sacrifice for an imperfect human life has to be a perfect human life, a life that lives the way God intended us to live, perfectly faithful, perfectly righteous, perfectly justified and aligned with God. And then that life bears the weight of the imperfection of the world. Uh, in a sense, you could say, again, in a sense, this is not entirely theologically accurate, but because Christ was perfect, and he bore the wrath of God, imperfection can now be dealt with. Perfection has been, quote-unquote, done away with. The law, as Jesus would say, has been fulfilled. The expectation of perfection 
has been satisfied for us. So Christ had to be perfect, and he was. Uh, I said in a devotion this past week, they, Jesus' enemies would have done anything, and they did do anything to try and find something to hang on Christ's neck and convict him with. The only thing in the end they could come up with was blasphemy, claiming to be God, which Jesus clearly did. Um, and so they, that's what they used. The problem with that is three days later, he proved that he was right. (laughs) He has a way with that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So Jesus had to be sinless in order to literally put on our sin and be worthy of carrying it to the cross. And when you go to uh, the gospel of John uh, and and John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus, this is what John the Baptist also struggled with. Jesus says, baptize me. And John says, uh, I, I'm not baptizing you. You need to baptize me. <laughs> exactly. I, I can't even tie your shoes. Uh, right. <laughs> um, and they're sandals for crying out loud. <laughs> and Jesus says something very important. We must do this to fulfill all righteousness. Well, if Christ is perfectly righteous, from birth, being conceived by the Holy Spirit. What righteousness is he talking about? Who's, what righteousness has to be fulfilled? Ours. So when Christ goes into that Jordan River, where hundreds and thousands of people uh, were being baptized by John in a baptism of repentance, you get this visceral picture that Christ is wading into this river flooded with sin this perfect lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, as John the Baptist would say, comes down into the river of sin. He submerses himself in it so that he would put it on, so that he would be identified as the right sacrifice for humanity. And in that moment, that's exactly what happens. The Spirit of God, like a dove, comes down and it rests on him, And you hear the voice of God God declare, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. So Paul says he made him to be sin. And so that's where that happens. Christ puts on our sin and he carries that to the cross so that we might become the righteousness of God. So Christ was always without sin, but he put it on. And when we talk about justification, um, we we talk about... um, righteousness, right? Because that's what we're trying to align. We are unrighteous. We have to be realigned with a righteous God. And within the doctrine of uh, justification, we talk about imputed righteousness. And that really has two parts. Um, Imputed means to put on. And so Christ puts on our sin. And because he was baptized into our sin, when we're baptized, we are baptized into his life. And so that is when his righteousness is imputed upon us. We are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. That's what scripture says in Ephesians chapter 5 within the context of marriage, which is constantly a picture scripture uses for salvation. Uh, It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her, by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle 
or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So just a beautiful passage where clearly this is all God's love in Christ being worked out for our justification and for our sanctification. It's, it's his work. And I think that is critical um, as, as we pick these two concepts apart a little bit. When, when we talk about justification, we are talking about the fulfillment of God's expectation. And what is God's expectation? It says in Leviticus 19.2 and many other places, you will be holy because I am holy. Because I made you that way to begin with. I made you perfect. So the expectation, if we're going to be justified before God by ourselves, is absolute 100% unwavering perfection in thought, word, and deed. And that's why when we confess our sins every service uh, at St. Mark, we say, I have sinned in thought, word, and deed. Because it's not just the bad things you do. It's the good things you don't do. It's not just the bad things you say. It's those times where you fail to say what you know you should, the good things. And it's not just what you say or do, but the thoughts that always precede both. You know, you go back to before the blood, uh, before the flood, and it says that God saw that the wickedness of man's heart was completely deprived from birth. Who even can count their own thoughts to know how many are good and bad? Who, who remembers enough of what they have done and said in their whole life to even be able to repent for each and every single one of our sins? See, so repentance isn't even the requirement insofar as you have to repent enough. The requirement is Christ. The requirement is someone who is perfectly aligned with God because he is of God and of man from the very beginning. So when we talk about justification, we don't talk about God finding a loophole or a workaround. We're talking about God fulfilling his own expectations on our behalf in his son, Jesus Christ. That God reconciles us to himself through his son, that we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that, uh, if I'm recalling correctly, isn't that what Luther struggled with uh, when he was uh, constantly... Uh, reminded of and confessing every single sin he could possibly think of. <laughs> yes, and his confessing father, John Staupitz, would would uh, eventually tell him, you know, Luther, come back when you have something serious to confess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, Luther would, would physically maim and beat himself because he thought that this God was wrathful and, and vengeful and out to get him, and the, the whole meaning of life was just to survive and appease this God um, so that you could have less time in purgatory. Um, and purgatory and um, um, indulgences and penance and all those things of, of, of the church that they got wrong came out of a misunderstanding of justification, and it came out of a misunderstanding of law and gospel, right. which is why we preceded this discussion with that. Uh, those are two doctrines that, that were in conflict. One is imputed righteousness. The other one um, that was being taught that Luther fought against was infused righteousness or infused grace that on the cross Jesus paid for your sins and at the time you come to believe in him then those sins are forgiven but from now on 
It's up to you. It's up to you. (laughs) And God is giving you enough grace. He's given you enough righteousness for you to be able to handle it. And I don't know who can possibly wake up in the morning and think, I got this. (laughs) I can be good enough for God. No, that's the bad news. You're taking good news and making it horribly bad. The good news of the gospel is Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But I am here. I'm with you to the very end of the age. It's finished. I've done it. And so because of what Christ has done, God declares us to be righteous. That's what we call forensic justification. You know, you think of a courtroom and the gavel being slammed down. Um, declared innocent, declared guilty. And that's just not throwing words into the air. That has consequences to it, right? Whether you're innocent or guilty. Well, much like God's word spoke everything into creation and God says, my word will not come back to me void. When he declares us to be righteous for Christ's sake, then we are righteous. That's what Paul says in Philippians chapter three. I have no righteousness of my own, but only that which God has graciously given to me in Christ. Well, Pastor, I think we're going to probably have to continue this discussion on um, justification. Otherwise, we'll have to justify why we didn't get to one of our listener questions. (laughs) I don't want to do that. Absolutely. So our listener sent in this question. Greetings, Pastor. Uh, Matthew 17, 20 says, speak to this mountain and tell it to move and it will move. Is this a metaphor? Uh, It doesn't specifically say ask in Jesus' name. It just says speak. Good question. Uh, Is it a metaphor? I would say no, um, because Jesus did um, just move a mountain himself. Now, not an actual mountain on the earth, but he he cast a demon out of a boy, a demon that the disciples themselves could not cast out. And I guess you could say the mountain is an illustration or a metaphor for the demon, but that really happened. So it's not just, uh, you know, metaphorically speaking, Christ cast out the demon. Right. Um, the disciples couldn't do it, and so they come to him and ask, why couldn't we not cast it out? And he said, because of your little faith. Now, if we stop there, that certainly makes it sound like faith is a work the disciples have to do, that yes. they have to have more faith, enough faith. But Jesus continues, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed. <laughs> tiny. <laughs> the tiny, right? So he's not talking about size or amount here. Okay? If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, because otherwise, why would you criticize him for little faith and then tell him to have faith like a grain of a mustard right. seed? Yeah. You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Uh, Jesus is calling them to trust in not themselves. Why could we not cast it out? Right? Uh, it's, it's a call to a trust in God's will in God's power, in God's way. And Jesus just proved that he could do it no problem, right? It's not an issue for Christ. Uh, The focus is not on you doing it. The focus is you walking in the will of God. And when it comes to doing it in the name of Jesus, a name to the Hebrews wasn't just a magic word you throw out. By saying the name, what you're saying is, I cast this demon out in accordance with God's will, God's time, and God's purpose. And if you're in alignment with that, then that will happen. There's nothing impossible for you because you walk in step with him. The name is a condition of the heart, that name that's been written on our heart, that name that trusts if God wants this to happen, it will happen. It's no problem for him. Right. 
much like what we just talked about, about justification. Absolutely. We pray our time together in God's word has been a blessing to you and to your faith in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior of the world. If you enjoy listening to our program, we would love to hear from you. Go to eternalconnectionradio.com to find our full episode archive, contact us, let us know you enjoy the show, or ask a question that Pastor Jay will answer on the air. God bless all of you. We look forward to connecting with you again next Sunday on The Eternal Connection. Connection.